KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. This is KYW News Radio In Depth. I'm Matt Leon. The makeup of the House of Representatives will be shifting a bit in the wake of the 2020 census. Some states will gain a seat or two, some will lose a seat, with new maps drawn for the 2022 midterms. We wanted to dig into the idea of reapportionment, how it works, and what these results mean. So we caught up with Dr. Fred Foley. He is an adjunct instructor of political science at LaSalle University. Really fascinating conversation. Give a listen. So to start, kind of give us the basics. How does reapportionment of the House work here with the census every 10 years? Well, it's uh, it's a process that begins with the census and the final calculations of the census. As you know, Matt, there are 435 seats in the House of Representatives. Every state is guaranteed one, and that counts for the first 50. And then the other 385 are apportioned among the states. Fairly complicated mathematical formula that I'm not going to try to go through because I've lost that skill a long time ago. But they are apportioned among the other states pretty close to being in direct relationship to the population of the states. And that is done every 10 years after the census is completed. So the last go round would have been around this time of the year in 2011 based on the 2010 census, and now we're about to do it again in 2021. And typically what happens is that the Commerce Department, which includes the Census Bureau, they do all the mathematical calculations and determine how many seats in the House each state is entitled to have. Uh, And then it falls to the states to do whatever reapportionment they need to do. There are, I think at this point, there are six states that are going to have to make some adjustments in their um, in the way in which they allocate their seats in the House of Representatives. And the other states, I suppose if they chose to, they could change the geographic boundaries of their congressional districts, but they don't have to because their number in the House for the next 10 years is the same as it's been in the last 10 years. Looking at what we've learned, it looks like there was less movement as far as states gaining or losing than was anticipated. Am I reading that right? I think you are. When I saw the report that came out, and I guess it was sometime last week, the report about the number of uh, changes that are likely in the House, I was surprised it was so small. I think there are uh, there are six states, as I mentioned, that are going to gain. They're the winners. Texas is gaining two seats and then Colorado, Florida, Montana, North Carolina and Oregon are each gaining one. And then on the loser side, there are seven states that are each uh, losing one seat. California, Illinois, Michigan, New York, Ohio, Pennsylvania and West Virginia. So uh, I suppose that means there are seven states that are going to have to be doing reapportionment instead of the six that I told you earlier. Yeah, I was surprised. I thought that number was going to be a lot higher. Quite frankly, I thought Pennsylvania might lose two seats instead of just one. So, yeah, I was surprised it was as small as it was. And one of the ironies in the numbers that I saw is that New York lost its one seat in the House by 89 people. If it had 90 more people fill out the census, it would have stayed at whatever number it is currently. But, yeah, it's a relatively small number of seats and a relatively small number of states, although it includes many of the biggest states in the country. Yeah, I saw something. I mean, this was the first time like California has ever lost a seat since it became a state. Am I right on that? 
I well, I don't know if it goes back all the way to when it was a state. There are students who think I'm pretty old, but I don't go back to the 1840s. But I do go back to the 1940s for whatever that's worth. Uh, and certainly in the longest while, certainly the post-World War II era, California has grown usually multi-digits each time the census has been completed. And, you know, there's a lot of different migration patterns that go on in the United States. And one of the strangest ones is the migration of people in the last decade from California to Texas. And that seems to have been precipitated primarily about the, by, by the very high taxes that there are in California. It's one of the most heavily taxed states. Apparently, a significant number of people were attracted by the fact that Texas tax rates are substantially lower. And, and so the decline in California... Uh, is is primarily people moving to Texas. And that's probably at least one of the seats that Texas gained. I mean, every state, I think, has gained population. But it's a question of, did your gains uh, exceed the national average? Did they exceed the gains that are going on in other states? And while California grew, it, it did not grow at the rate that certainly Texas did. And therefore, it lost the seat. And that was a surprise. Pennsylvania losing a seat. You mentioned you thought they might lose two, but Pennsylvania losing a seat. This is a an alarming trend for the the Keystone State, isn't it? It is uh, under the 2010 census that now has been replaced by the 2020 census. Pennsylvania had 18 members of the House. It now will have 17. And if you look back even further in the 2000 census, Pennsylvania had 20 seats in the House of Representatives. I didn't go back to see what it was prior to that, but this is certainly a long-term trend. And it's it's not surprising. I mean, if you look at a number of those states that have lost seats, Pennsylvania, Ohio, New York, Michigan, many of them, Illinois, are in either the Northeast or the Great Lakes states of this country. And there's been a long-term migration of businesses, long-term migration of people from those states to either southern states or to the southwest. So in addition to that unusual migration, California to Texas, there's a much longer-term migration of people heading south. I suppose the gain that Florida has is in part because of the snowbirds who decide to relocate to Florida because the weather's so much better during the winter months in particular. But it's a long-term, uh, a long-term trend with businesses and, and people moving. And that has and it's affected Pennsylvania the last several censuses that have been taken. One of the things I've read, and wasn't just for this, but over the course of the last year with the it seems like there are some states that really pushed hard to get his accurate account. And there are other states that were very laissez-faire, if not uh, outright hostile to the idea of the census. What is the, I'm trying to understand why a state wouldn't want their account to be as accurate as possible, because it would mean more power, possibly more house seats, more money coming in. Is there something I'm missing? Is it, is it strictly some sort of partisan lens? Yeah, I don't know if it's partisan. I haven't followed it closely enough state by state, but certainly you are correct, Matt, uh, that some states have been very aggressive in trying to push the census. Last year, when the census was conducted, uh, because of COVID-19, the the process, of course, was very different than it's ever been before. You go back to 2010 or 2020, the census began by every residential uh, address in the country, getting a mailed copy of the census. And then some people, of course, returned it very quickly. 
And then by a certain date, if people had not returned it, they started to get telephone calls. More people returned it. And then if by another date they still hadn't returned it, they got knocks on the door. Census uh, either paid or volunteer census takers banging on your door uh, to try to get you to fill out the thing. And in censuses gone by, the form was a lot more complex. It was a lot more detailed than it was in 2020. 2020, probably this change would have happened anyway, but it certainly was critical with COVID. The process started online with just, uh, depending on your state, as you said, widespread publicity that people could go online, you know, click on the link that was available, and uh, that would bring them to the census. And you went from there, entering your residential address and then answering, I think it was less than 10 questions. Uh, The number of people who lived at that address is a critical one. Actually, the racial and ethnic breakdown of people who lived in the household was another one that I remember. There was, as you may recall, a, a big debate. I guess this was in 2019 and early 2020. The Trump administration wanted to include a citizenship question. Uh, that ultimately was uh, denied to them by the Supreme Court on some technical and procedural reasons. And then, of course, the uh, there were multiple attempts to get people to respond online. There, uh, you know, and my wife and I did very quickly, so we never got any of the phone calls. Uh, but I think people then got phone calls. I don't think they got the knocks on the door this time because of COVID-19. And that may have had a depressing effect in some of the states. But Pennsylvania, clearly, you know, there were ads on television uh, constantly during the uh, the late summer and early fall. Between the ads for the presidential election and the ads for the census, you put up a lot of the TV time. But I gather just from what I read and what you said also, Matt, there were a number of states that didn't push it uh, as heavily. And I, I hate to say it's a partisan issue, but it did seem to break that way, that Democratic states were pushing much more aggressively, and especially the Democratic states in the traditional strongholds. And that's New England, mid-Atlantic states, Great Lakes states, because I think people realize our numbers may, are probably going to go down and we need to uh, we need to keep our rep- representation as high as possible because again, as you noted, Matt, it's not only the number of seats in the House, but it is literally hundreds of billions of dollars in federal money that gets allocated for all those different grant programs. And there's a lot of formulas that go into play, but the biggest is population. And and so there were a lot of dollars at stake as well. So now we know the numbers each state will have as far as uh, members of the House, and now the. The work of drawing the maps, uh, redrawing the maps, deciding which districts go away. And from what I understand, it's kind of a mixed bag state to state. Some have independent commissions. Some it's, you know, all the legislature. uh, It really depends on the state, right? It does. There are, uh, and it's probably about half and half between the 50 states. And I'm not sure there's any rhyme or reason to figure out which half you're going to be in. But approximately half of the states uh, utilize the traditional state government approach to redrawing those boundaries for the congressional districts. And that basically means that it originates with the state legislature and then it goes to the governor and it could potentially go to the state Supreme Court. I know in Pennsylvania, there will be a five person commission that will make uh, recommendations to the state legislature. And for the next uh, however long that takes, the most powerful person in Pennsylvania will be the fifth because two of them will be the leaders of the Democratic Party and Republican parties in the House and Senate. You can assume which parties they're going to try to uh, enhance. And then there is a neutral fifth person that is chosen by joint agreement between the leadership of the House and Senate, including minority party leadership. Other states in their constitutions have established significantly independent commissions with all the different parameters about how the 
those folks are supposed to be selected. But the idea is to have independence and nonpartisanship. Arizona was one of the ones that got a lot of attention. This was back after the 2010 census because the uh, folks in Arizona had passed a, an amendment to the state constitution creating the independent commission and the state legislature sued on in federal court that that was unconstitutional but the supreme court said no that's fine it's up to the states to figure out their methodology so it will be a mixed bag between states utilizing the traditional approach and states utilizing commissions it's also a mixed bag in terms of part of partisanship you know altogether if you if you look at all of these different states there are 13 states involved in this process between those that were winners and those that are losers i, I just did kind of a rough calculation in preparation for this five of those states are currently controlled by democrats which means the governor is a democrat and both houses of the legislature are a majority democrat that includes California, uh, Colorado, Oregon, Illinois, and New York. Another five are, are controlled by the Republicans. Again, governor, Republican, state legislative majority, Republican. And that crowd includes Texas, Florida, Montana, Ohio, and West Virginia. And then that leaves three others that have mixed governmental control. In all these three cases, the legislature, both houses are a majority Republican, and the governor's a Democrat. We're one of them in Pennsylvania. The other two are Michigan and North Carolina. So how that all shakes out in terms of the partisanship in this process, there was, and let me just grab the name so I give it to you correctly, there was an important Supreme Court ruling last year, last summer. Uh, I think I am pronouncing this correct, uh, RUCO, it's R-U-C-H-O, uh, versus Common Cause. And in that, the, uh, the basis of the lawsuit was the question about whether partisan reapportionment in, in states where it was very obviously done for partisan purposes, some of them Republican, some of them Democratic, whether uh, that is a, a partisanship is a protected constitutional right. And the Supreme Court said, no, it's not. It said that the reapportionment of the congressional district boundaries after the census is not a matter for federal court intervention. It's completely up to the states. And so I think you have to assume that if the state is predominantly Democratic, especially if it is the legislature and the governor that are doing the redrawing, they're going to try to favor the Democrats. Same deal. It's predominantly Republican and the legislature and governor are empowered to make the final decisions. They'll try to enhance the likelihood that Republicans will uh, do better. And then the three other states, they will be an interesting mix. Uh, Michigan and Pennsylvania, I don't know North Carolina, but Michigan and Pennsylvania are both part of that tradition of the legislature and the governor. And in both states, they don't agree on much, uh, including whether today is Thursday or not. And so uh, whether they can come to an agreement uh, remains to be seen. And, you know, when they can't, it could get kicked to the uh, state Supreme Court as it was in Pennsylvania back in 2018. So it'll be a fascinating process to see it unfold. And is there a date that this has to be, everything has to be in place? I would imagine there is so they can get the midterm cycle started, right? Yeah, I would suspect there is, but I don't know what it is. It would certainly be sometime well before the end of this calendar year. Now, a lot of the state legislatures, um, there's a fair number of them that do not meet year round. So they're coming toward the end of the 2021 legislative season. So I would suspect it's going to go into the fall in some states, but certainly by the end of uh, the calendar year and maybe a few months before that, they need to have it in place because as soon as we hit January of 2022, folks are going to be campaigning for nominations uh, and they need to know what congressional districts they're in 
to do those campaigns. But I don't know if there's an absolute date. I suspect the federal government leaves it up to the states to if they want to set dates for themselves. Again, uh, the number of states that have to do this is relatively small. I think it's 13 out of 50. The other 37 can leave it alone if they want because their their numbers are not going to change. My final question, looking at this through the political lens, the stuff I read and the people I heard, the the overall thought was that this was pretty good for Republicans. But on the other hand, not nearly as bad as people thought it could be for the Democrats. Have you taken a kind of a 30,000 foot view with if there was a party that came out ahead with when all this shook out? Well, I think the Republicans have come out ahead, but it's not by much because the losers and the winners are a pretty mixed bag of, of states, uh, some of them Democratic, some of them Republican. So what I tried to do, Matt, was to do a, a kind of a, a retroactive analysis of if these changes had all happened before we elected a president back in November, what difference would it have made between Joe Biden and Donald Trump? And it's a little bit of a difference, but not in the outcome. I think I figured it out that there would have been a net gain of three electoral college votes for Donald Trump and a net loss of three for um, for Joe Biden. And, and the reason for that is that the um, the mix of winners and losers is not uniformly all Republican or all Democratic. I mean, Texas, Florida, Montana, which are three of the big winners, they are obviously Republican states. But two of the other winners are Colorado and Oregon, which are Democratic states. If you look at the losers, yes, there are, uh, I think it's, let's see, there are four, five significant states that are losers that went for Joe Biden, California, Illinois, Michigan, New York, and Pennsylvania. But then two of the states that are losing an electoral college vote went for Donald Trump, Ohio and West Virginia. So it, 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 yes, the Republicans would have gained in the um, uh, in the electoral college vote in 2020, but it would have only been a net gain of three for Donald Trump. The Democratic majority, as as you know, Matt, is really slim in the House of Representatives, and it's even slimmer than it was when they first started back in early January, because three members of the House were appointed to the Biden cabinet, confirmed by the Senate, so they had to resign from the House. And then one of the elderly uh, Democratic congressmen from Florida passed away a couple weeks ago, I think. These seats are all in um, very heavily Democratic districts, but it is up to the governors to schedule the special elections. And so it may be likely months before those seats are filled. So I think the Democratic majority is down to around a half a dozen, and that's pretty narrow. And so even though it doesn't look like the end result of this is going to change the numbers dramatically in the House, the slightest change could make all the difference in terms of which party wins the 2022 election. And just to, you mentioned the electoral votes, we focused on it through the lens of, you know, talk about the House of Representatives, but there is a change in the Electoral College because it's basically one vote for every member, right? That's correct. The uh, The numbers in the House, uh, I, I'm sorry, the numbers in the Electoral College equal the numbers of seats that a state has in the House plus in the Senate. Senate numbers are always two. They never change. So, yeah, any changes that are going to be uh, occurring in the number of representatives in the House will change the Electoral College votes from the states. The District of Columbia has three Electoral College votes, but it doesn't have a voting member in the House, so the reapportionment issue doesn't affect them at all. What would affect them is the proposal to grant statehood, but that's a totally different question. So yeah, there there, there are likely to be changes between the number of Democrats and Republicans uh, in the House and in the uh, 
the Senate, that's all going to depend on what those 13 states do in redrawing uh, their boundaries. I mean, just as an example, you can probably bet the House that Texas, which is very heavily Republican government, is going to try to add two Republican uh, districts in, in the final drawing of their congressional map. California is probably likely to try to eliminate one Republican district as they redraw theirs. theirs. And so it's at least plausible, possible, that it would come out adding three Republican seats and subtracting three Democratic seats. But that's enough now to produce a virtual tie in the House of Representatives and and subject, obviously, to what the outcome of the election is in November 22. That's it for this episode of KYW News Radio In-Depth. You can listen to the podcast free anytime on the Odyssey app, and you can find it wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Matt Leon, and we'll have another episode out soon.